when we are doing the will of our true self, we are inevitably doing the will of the universe. In magic, these are seen as indistinguishable. That every human soul is in fact one human soul. It is the soul of the universe itself. And as long as you are doing the will of the universe, then it is impossible to do anything wrong. Rebel Raz, and this is Prag Magic. In this podcast, we will journey through the investigation and application of metaphysical means to enhance and inspire what I consider to be the great unifying purpose of our short human existence, the creative process. And it's my intention to learn and reveal exercises that ex-hex those inner oppressive thought patterns as well as exorcising those lurking psychic vampires. Join me as I consort the unseen as means for getting the fuck out of creative stagnation. Stagnation that bewitches each and all of us, artists or not. This episode, well, let's talk about the word logos, which essentially means the word of God or principle of divine reason and creative order. Well, Revel, uh, my nom de whatever, uh, short for Revelator, was humorously bestowed on me as a slight of sorts, one that denoted my crooked past filled with drug-fueled and drunken ego trips, careless revels, and their inebriated revelations. It is not one that reveals the logos, or truth for that matter, and I've spent the last five years or so pursuing to rectify that. So it's only fitting that my current trajectory in metaphysics, or in becoming an integrated person is looking to rectify the sardonic aspect of my identity and that nickname to make my nickname less a sarcastic tag and more of a purpose-filled title. Upon discovering Robert A. Powell of YouTube's channel Logos of Oakfield, I was gifted a psychic gut punch. I have recently been taking my metaphysical studies quite seriously and recalibrating my personal magical modes and diodes to allow for more 
reverence of occult traditions. So when Robert contacted me about appearing on this podcast, I was relieved to find his revelatory reach was dispatched at the perfect time in my pursuits. His YouTube videos have become a consistently unpretentious and enlightening source that is wholly uncommon among the marketing-minded new gurus abound on the video platform. So slither hither, weirdos and witches. Here's my conversation with media magician, occult YouTuber, and paranormal detective, Robert A. Powell. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me, man. Get to finally chat and forgive me for rescheduling so many times. Oh, man, it's cool. I completely understand. I was in the same boat as you uh, not not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, this whole uh, you, you do podcasts as well, right? Mm hmm. But you're like you're tackling YouTube. You've got like eight different mediums, I feel. Uh, what do you mean? Like, eight, you're going through different media ventures, whether it's YouTube or podcasts or blogging. Is there other facets that you're doing? Um, well, I mainly stick with YouTube. That's my, that's my main gig. I do have a personal site, um, but I'm slowly working on it. I'm, I want to transfer it to WordPress. Um, but that's mainly it for right now is just mainly you know, Google, like YouTube. Yeah. And, uh, that's about it. YouTube and email, because I mean, don't get me wrong. I accidentally activated my Twitter. I said, fuck it. I'll just keep it up anyway. <laughs> but, uh, cause I got, I got kicked off Twitter like once before. Why was that? And Facebook like five times social justice warriors. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big confluence, I feel, between the occult community and pissing off the left faction, I've noticed. Oh, yeah, there's there's this uh, political dialogue that's made its way into occultism, right? Yeah. Uh, rather than having that balance, you have the, the libertarians, you know, uh, saying, you know, the occult is individual. Right. You know, and um, all of that. Then you have more of the left-wing-leaning people, especially Thelemites, coming in and, and saying, equality for all. It's like, then you kind of want to look at him and say, you know that Crowley, he followed a very Nietzschean sort of philosophy, right? Like, that they're slaves. <laughs> like, people are slaves, and then you have the master and shit. So are you... But, uh, um, do you... Do you think the collectivism is an idea that should be outside of the occult? Um, no, not, not at all. I mean, I think it has its place. I mean, because I think we are different and, and I think, you know, that we all have different systems. We have to, I just don't think it should totally define a person though. And I don't think it should be the top of the prioritization. You know, but if we want to be accurate with things, you know, let's be honest here. You know, most occultists are, you know, are white males. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'll find a couple, a handful of women in there. I mean, but let's be honest about the issue. I'm not saying it's bad or anything, you know. I'm just saying it kind of is what it is. Everybody's different and they have different leanings. Now, how do you feel about, like, because I have a friend 
good friend of mine. He's like a fourth generation voodoo practitioner. Mm-hmm. And it was really stressed about, I, I hate to use the word appropriation because it's such a buzzword, but to appropriate magical practices from other cultures outside of yours was scoffed at a bit. Uh, would you agree with that kind of caution? I'm kind of in the middle because if it wasn't for some sort of appropriation, yeah, um, some of the stuff would have died. Totally. When, like for, yeah, like when we look at, uh, you know, Thelma and Golden Dawn, if it wasn't for Regardi, we would have none of it. Or if we look at, you know, what we have in Solomonic magic. You know, if it wasn't for the Arabs, you know, uh, adopting the latter Greek magical papyri stuff, right? We wouldn't. Ha- we wouldn't. Ha- we st- we wouldn't have the Western, system would yeah. longer exist. It wouldn't be there. Sorry, when my mind gets going, I just my mind goes in overdrive. Oh yeah, I love <laughs> it. That's perfect. Because uh, that kind of leads me to the next point. I was watching one of your videos a couple of days ago, and you were talking about currents when um, mm-hmm. you're practicing different devotions that are long-standing traditions, that mm-hmm. you're kind of tapping into this unseen current that transcends space and time. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if when you're dancing with multitudes of different devotions, is that disruptive to the currents? Well, that, that's why I say singular focus. I think it can because um, it's, a, you know, this is why I say singular focus is when you dabble into too many things, you're not really getting the mysteries. You're getting surface, surface level material. So that's why I generally focus on Renaissance magic and magic of antiquity. Okay. Yeah, I've noticed I saw your top 10 Grimoire, and the first one was the Greco-Egyptian, the papyri, right? Uh, yeah, the, the yeah, the Greek magical papyri. That one manuscript it completely outlines everything we have today in Western magic before Buddhism and a lot of Easternization. So you think you got to be devoted, really, to just one? Uh, maybe one or two. Yeah. Um, you know because. I think that when you wander around like a stranger, it, it's kind of like the difference, you know, let's take any other vocation, right? How can you uh, expect to advance in any other vocation? Like, let's say you work at a restaurant. If you're not going to be committed to your job, how are you going to be, become a manager? Yeah. I agree. So, I'm definitely from the generation of chaos magicians, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to you know, rectify a lot of those habits that was, you know, born from that kind of practice, you know, just kind of throwing everything to the wind and going for deconstruction as kind of the main MO. And now I find myself like really starting from scratch after years and years of studying and doing different types. But it, I feel like I have to start over because it has to be somewhat of a singular focus, you know? Yeah, well, well, there, there's a crisis going on with young men right now. And it's because that we've been told as young men that we can do whatever we want, right? That, that we have all this knowledge 
that we have all of this, you know, that we should just get this knowledge, take it, apprehend it, and so on and so forth. So along with that, you know, especially uh, with higher rates of fathers not being in the family, um, we uh, th- there's really not much of a moral guidance with a lot of young men nowadays. And um, kind of raised by the television, you know? Yeah, raised by the television, especially when you, ha- when you have a lot of single mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not that male figure to help develop sexuality to some extent. And um, there's a bit of a, of a crisis in masculinity right now. Because everything that everybody's telling us, and this is just my take, right? Right. Because it really all falls by our, not just our biological nature, but our physicality, uh, by, by our interests and things like that. That's what far more separates men and women, uh, you know, than biology is interests. You know what I mean? The physical makeup and interests. Uh, you know, men, you know, they have a tendency to take on more jobs. But now when you look at the new stats, I mean, um, with the millennials, there's women taking care of men now. So there's this crisis going on uh, statistically. I mean, and you kind think, of you sad. think that's a that's a bad thing, like a, that it's not kind of mixed. You, it it needs to be. Well, well, well it, it's a horrible thing because it's leading to more incompetence. But we see it in the workplace. We see it in society. Um, we even see it in the occult. Yeah, because uh, you know. And it's not to place people in traditional gender roles or any of that. You know, people can do whatever they want. But the idea is to sort of embrace who you are, embrace your nature, and just sort of go with it. And But when you're when somebody's not given the right guidance, it creates a lot of issues in society. Hmm. And now, um, you know, and like I said, I know society changes. and. Uh, I I don't see it going in a positive way because um, th- there's just a lot to this, you know. Yeah. Because everybody wants wants a competent person. It's hard for men. It's harder for men to hold jobs nowadays, especially in the millennials. It's harder for uh, you know to keep relationships going. Uh, the divorce rates uh, went up by a, by a couple percentage too mm-hmm. in the millennial generation. So there, and I think it really falls upon this uh, this attack on masculinity. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, I I see where you're coming from. I definitely um, pick up, uh, you know, the traditionalist in you. Well, I I I wouldn't consider myself a full traditionalist, but I I I just kind of look and see what works, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like for example. Um, if if you go through my statistics, like in my demographics, ninety eight percent ninety eight percent of my viewership are males, ranging mm-hmm. between age twenty five to thirty four. Yeah, uh, and that's for, guilty. That's mm-hmm. for, yeah, that's forty five percent of my audience. And to me, um, the, the, with this new social movement going on, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It seems like men are are are, are, go, are going to places to where 
they can I- identify with their masculinity and relearn what their masculinity is. You know what I mean? Because there is a crisis going on with yeah. it. Yeah, I think maybe um, the idea, though, is that it's evolving. That it well, might be it might be misguided, but I you know I think the the idea was that it was adapting to a degree. Oh yeah, and I we'll see how it goes because I think the more we push in this direction, the more forceful it's going to go the opposite way. Um, because uh, Norway ran an experiment on this, right? And the more that they tried to get rid of the like. Uh, especially at the workplace, like the gender differences and all that, the the more men and women actually went to traditional interests. <laughs> it kind of backfired. Yeah. So they completely had to can the study. So like I said, I mean... It's, I mean, I know from... I can just speak personally. There was definitely a lack of discipline in my life. Yeah. Uh, growing up. And with that, a lack of security. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah, and that comes with responsibility. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. The, and, the, that, you know, I, I'm the trial by fire type. So mm-hmm. I had some really dark wilderness years of figuring out depths of what I'm okay with. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's just been a hard learning curve. I mean, the reason why I started back in heavily in the quote-unquote occult was because of the discipline it provided me. The like yeah. routine, the ceremony, the ritual, the conversation with the self, meditation. Mm-hmm. This kind of brings me to another point you were mentioning in one of your videos, too, that you should be very cautious of people that kind of expel that sort of discipline that aren't like well-practiced individuals. Exactly, yeah. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you if you were speaking of any type of belief that you were referencing or if there's a few different metaphysical trajectories that you would deem dark or malevolent? Well, I, I think uh, th- th- there's a broad range there, actually. And mm-hmm. that's a really good question because there's a broad range of it. I mean, I mean, you have these occultists uh, who are espousing things that what people who analyze other occultists said, you know what I mean? Right. And, um, you know, then you have people bouncing around all over the place like uh and this is once again where discipline sort of kicks in right Mm -hmm. a lot of them don't have the discipline to stick with the practice to get the most out of it right yeah it's uh so to answer your question i mean uh there's gurus all over the place who are claiming stuff and then you have people who are just really damn good marketers, like EA Coetting. Yeah. And then you have other people, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, trying to put a put across a good message. Mm-hmm. But yet the message sometimes that they put across are, are obviously self ownership is always going to be there, and that's sort of an empowering thing that's always there. But yeah, just kind of like uh, I tweeted the other day about empathy. You know, mm-hmm. initial empathy isn't initially a good thing because it can be used as a tool for manipulation. Sure, yeah, that so, reactionary empathy. Yeah, so, I mean, anyone can use any sort of empathy or any emotion as, as, as a, some kind of a tool, right? Like love. Yeah. 
like for example, you, you can manipulate with people love, with love and empathy. And I and I know I'm making this sound all dark, but what I, uh, that's not the intention. Yeah, that's, that's advertising, you know. Yeah, but it's the idea that uh, people are using, you know, self empowerment in the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you th- this is all inside of you. Believe in yourself. It's a good message on the surface. But the way they're using it is full of sophistry a lot of times. Yeah, I was going to bring up that word, sophistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that nails it for what I've been seeing a lot. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but that's the whole point is, is, is it's complete sophistry. And, this is, and I think it's a good message to have. However, to carry a message like that, it comes with another – it builds another extreme in manifestation – yeah, but with that manifestation, it, it brings in something um, very interesting, right? And this is the idea that with the sophistry of believing in yourself, uh, what's behind it? Do you sincerely mean it? Are you using this to make people people feel good, to make money? Are you using this as a way to promote solipsism or narcissism? Are you using this? to grow your order or fraternity in in what way do you mean this okay then it leads to another question do you think all magic is within self or is there magic external outside of us that was the question i was going to hit with you yeah yeah so uh and you're saying you're saying there is external because i wanted to uh know i've been seeing Mm -hmm. a lot in modern practicing they're taking the spiritism kind of out of, or yeah. the like meta meta out of the, you know, they're leaving the physics or they're trying to. And the way they explain it a lot, the safety is, you know, they they describe that it's, you know, altering your subconscious so you make better decisions by day. And that's really all you're doing, you mm-hmm. know? And I hear that a lot and it feels like it's just being repackaged, like you're selling a gun that looks like a toy gun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, Certainly. Uh, Herodotus, he... Go on. Yeah, go... No, sorry. Um, but Herodotus said some words a while back when I was going through a transition of internal and external. And that was, men don't control circumstances. Circumstances control men. Hmm. Like and, because if... If we could control circumstances, everybody would be making millions of dollars off psychic work. Right. You know what I mean? We would be able to predict every move, everything we could do. Mm-hmm. But with mortality and, and, and the lack of control, it comes this degree where sometimes empowerment helps out. We can only do the best we can in the world we have. And there are some things we can control. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know... We can control how we react. And I think that's the biggest biggest thing. Yeah, certainly. I mean, hell, you can walk into a room, you could, you know, flip on a switch and your light comes on. You know, you can control that. Right. And this is where knowledge steps in. Not just self-knowledge, but external knowledge of the world and how it's applicable in order to sort of um, kind of control the circumstances around us, you know? Yeah. 
So it's uh, or- organizing the chaos somewhat, or giving us the, like, I don't know, maybe sometimes the false relief that we're organizing the chaos. <laughs> oh, yeah, chaos is a whole other thing, because when we have order and chaos, um, you know, I like to call the chaos that we that we dwell in, I like to call it the journey of the hero. You know, you have dragons, you have your demons, mm-hmm. and there's this risk and reward. And a lot of people, they would rather not go into that cave, or they would rather not go into that underworld, and just rather ignore it and just sort of live the daily life, you know, go to work, come home, sleep, you know, have kids and all that. You, sure. you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think those people support our economy and all of that. But, but you know, at some point, they're going to have to face this idea of death. They're going to have to face these these demons in front of them mm-hmm. at some point, and they do. And occultism, it teaches us to tackle these demons early. So imagine, if you will, you're going through this cave with demons, with this chaos, death, destruction. You know, you could see behind the mask of, uh, let's say politics. You can see behind the mask of intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can see the sophistry. You can see the solipsism. You can see these flaws. You could see everything you don't want to see. But there's a reward factor to this, though, because even a even a demon, the demon or a uh, a dragon, metaphorically, has its um, has its gold. Yeah. Or when we look at the idea of Heracles or um, or uh, Hercules, right? He went in, and how do we? And and the thing is, how do we manage the chaos? How do we deal with the chaos? And I, and I mentioned it on on my last live stream. And well, the first thing we have to do to manage the chaos is be honest about the chaos with ourselves. Hmm. that's the first thing why is honesty so important because when we see that that metaphorical demon in front of us when we see our worst traits when we see our flaws when we see things breaking down around us how do we cope with that without losing our minds yeah we have to be honest about it and and you have to take up your sword you have to take up your shield and you have to power through it that's how you become the hero, but now the predictability is different based on, on your competency mm-hmm. and how well you manage, how well you've embraced the truth, and how you've honed your skills. Either the dragon is going to eat you or you're going to be victorious. Yeah. I mean... So, and, and another thing with chaos, even chaos has boundaries. So, what are the boundaries of this chaos we're in? What are the rules that govern this chaos? So when I think of this old magic, I think about that chaos, because not all the spells are all white light. Yeah. And when I think of something like Selene or Hecate, the moon, it brings into question, yeah, there's this goddess who drinks blood, you know? Horrifying, you know, <laughs> she's, you know, goddess of serpents. Yeah. So why would the magician work with something like that? 
because she's the mistress of chaos. Yeah. That, so yeah. inherently, she has boundaries, meaning she also has a little bit of order in her, too. And she has rewards. So this old magic tackles that issue. This here Pragmagic Podcast is brought to you by Portland, Oregon's Open Source Art Religion and Pragmagic Art Collective, We the Hallowed. For more information, please visit wethehallowed.org or support these fine, pious individuals at patreon.com slash wethehallowed. Remember, that's hallowed like saintly. H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I feel a lot of the big thing that drew me out of kind of my darkness or wilderness years was that feeling of, of, you know, kind of slaying the dragon. Almost to a degree Mm -hmm. where I kind of got addicted to the struggle. And I think a lot of people do Mm -hmm. to some degree. Mine was, you know very dramatic it was just i was just kind of i didn't know what to do with myself unless i was fighting really hard for something or you know uh Mm -hmm. trying to trying to find any dragon to slay and i wonder if that can wonder what's analogous to that in uh like the uh, a magical devotion like am i if somebody's uh kind of tempting too much and they get addicted to, you know, the kind of, uh, I don't know, dancing with the devil kind of idea, you know, um, Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm losing myself here, but basically I I I understand what you're, yeah, I, 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 I see what you're going at. So, you know, maybe it's that constant struggle, you know, that people are addicted to that, to lead them to this, right? And and this is a good sign. Um, I know what you're getting to. Yeah. Well, there's there's something in this a little deeper. I think you're touching upon, and it touches upon exist, existentialism. Mm-hmm. You know what makes me wake up in the morning? What's my purpose? What's going to make me fight every day? And the thing is. A lot of people, they have this wrong idea about conflict and divisiveness, right? Right. And a lot of people would prefer to, yeah, they would try to run from it. Yeah. But if we, if we look at this conflict and because it's easy for us to think conflict and, and even right now, I'm sure we're thinking about the worst possible things in our mind. Even I am, you know, Mm -hmm. what's the worst outcome that can come out of that? But when we change our train of thinking, we're looking at the risk of of the outcome, of dealing with conflict. Am I going to lose friends? Am I going to get injured? Is yeah. my reputation going to take a hit? And these are all things we, ha- we have to worry about, and it's easy to back away from the conflict. But once we realize that this conflict is in ourselves, it becomes freeing in a way. And this inner conflict, I think, is a healthy thing, and it's the idea of looking at this conflict, because 
is sort of an initiation into something bigger. And what do I mean by that? So you you know how you said you was getting out of your uh, dark place? Yeah. And then just because you recognize that conflict, and then came your initiation into actually entering the cave. Yeah. Going into the heart of the conflict. Like, you know what? Maybe I got this wrong. Maybe I got it right. I don't know. But I know that there's substance here. Yeah. So when we look at conflict, it's it forces us to manage ourselves a lot better. And in a way, it's very liberating. Um, even Socrates said that, you know, if it wasn't for his inner dime owner, as we would call today, his holy guardian angel, yeah, that he, he would be a politician, but always warned against it, you know? Right. But even then, you know, these philosophers, they saw this idea of conflict. So, uh, I guess I'll go a little bit deeper into it. Please, yeah. <laughs> now, please there, there's a there's a big rabbit hole here. Now, philosophers, <laughs> they saw this idea of conflict and unity. So then they started to, to look at the universe, especially Empedocles. He he is the paragon of this. So in his cosmology, there was the one thing, right? Yeah. And it was in his sphere. Then. You have love and strife. So love is this one unifying thing. But strife is trying to separate the love. And there's this in-between state of love and hate to where creation happens. Then, once once strife gets more powerful, there's no more balance. It becomes, we get plurality here. Mm-hmm. The creation becomes destroyed. And... And and all this matter is whirling, like you would see, uh, like a whirlpool, right? Yeah. And um, so once everything is is in complete chaos and discord through conflict, there's no hope. There's no way out of it. So love has to regain her power according in the universe again. So she strives for this plurality to become one, and once again reaches this in-between state to where new life is made again, then all life is destroyed once it all becomes one again. And there's this cyclic uh, cosmology. And even Pythagoras duly noted this conflict in the dyad, or the number two. Uh I have one versus the other. So we even today, this idea of plurality, you know, such as individuals... Yeah. Uh, plurality, yeah. You know, this idea of plurality in many things, you know, mm-hmm. everything being an individual, how this creates problems. And how do we reconcile with that? Well, in classical magic, when you when you see war, famine, when you see, uh, you know, things being destroyed and built all the time, how do you describe that? So a solution was made to this. And Pythagoras said, well, maybe it's best if we focus on the one thing, you know. But how do we get to God? So they called it monad. Some people call it God. When I say God, I just don't mean in strict Christian terms. Right, right. you mean the the singularity, like the single creator force. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so now we have this thing to where the only way to get beyond this chaos is to focus on some, some form of union. Now we have two, two routes to get there. Either this one thing is ineffable and we can't, or we're, we're never going to get there in this lifetime or two. You know, there yeah. has to be a, a, a miniature one to help us get there. So now Pythagoras invented this idea of the microcosm. So this mm-hmm. microcosm is the state where we get to where we solve the idea of duality. And we unite the opposites and we create this miniature one thing. Uh-huh. And this miniature one thing sets a path in front of us and it mimics the the macrocosm right as above so, so below. yeah and that's where it came from with pythagoras he was uh-huh. the one to really unify that thought yeah i mean that's that's incredible i mean i i couldn't be more agreeable to that whole ideology um it reminded me of when uh I kind of learned, like you were talking about earlier, like uh, E.A. Coetting and all those people Uh that that really kind of push the become a living God, it's all within. Um, Mm -hmm. After I got out of my, my, you know, bad years, there was an honest belief in that from me because, you know, I, you know, I slayed the dragon and I'm, I won, you know, I'm, 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 uh, it's all within, Uh it's all within. And it kind of finally evolved into more of a, you know, part of a whole kind of ideology. And through the practice of magic and different forms, I've tried to find some sort of community, like, or or build a, you know, kind of a a salon-based kind of thing. And it always comes back down to, it's never a community of, people of the same practition it's always a community Mm -hmm. of people way different practices that's the only way it works you know oh yeah you know and 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 you know that's the one thing that always haunts us and that you're reiterating there you know this idea of plurality and conflict even in community like they're acting as one but Mm. at the same time there's individuals making up that 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 particular group that that can ca- cause dissolve of that group. Right. <laughs> so, it's, so it's that one. It never leaves us. I mean, yeah. and this was said like twenty five hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. It never left us. That's uh, what would you uh, prescribe someone like me that's got a whole head and history uh, filled with different kind of devotions and, and practices, how how would someone uh, go back to kind of the monad, you know? Well, uh, there's so many ways uh, to, to, to go about this. And mm-hmm. I'm starting to realize I'm going into more unexplored territory philosophically and magically together. Hey, that's why they're because I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I've tried so hard to find so many sources on it. Right. And I've sort of, uh, only me and Erla Sophia, and even parts even of Taliesin, we've talked about this. Uh, and that's about it. I mean, I think the modern hermeticist understands it pretty well. Love yeah. Dan. But 
the way that I would say, if you're looking for a book, uh, the works of Plotinus, uh, the works of the Neoplatonists, especially Iamblichus, uh, Proclus, uh, was very lucky. He was able to really get all the information from early Neoplatonists and um, even some of the pre-Socratics, uh, some of the works of Plato. Mm-hmm. I, uh, the pre-Socratics were really good, too. You'd love the pre-Socratics. But I think Plotinus, he laid out the best and most direct way to to deal with this. And even if you look get the Pythagorean source book and uh-huh. library, it's a wonderful book, especially uh, you can read them online. It's called the Pythagorean Golden Verses. A wonderful book. Um, but when you go through these old philosophy books, I mean, the one thing that I'm starting to realize is that, especially with Pythagoras, it was always the goal to sort of morally be a good person. And, and the problem is, um, you know, and there's a big debate with moral subjectivity or uh, moral relativism. Right. You know, I have a tendency to go more towards uh, moral relativism. I mean, me too. I, I think, think there's like, you know, there are certain, uh, you know, signposts for what is just inherently, you know, bad for everyone across the board. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I really struggle with moral subjectivism in, in, in a large degree because... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, obviously there's going to be cultural differences, but it doesn't account for the same broad thing, even in, you know, less developed countries, thou shalt not kill, you know? Obviously there's something ticking inside of us that that makes us realize that that, that there are things bad for humanity and, um, or our tribe in some cases. And, um, you know... so the best thing I would say to answer your question is really dive into these occult books. And, and I think what they offer, especially these, these old philosophy texts and some of these magic texts, is it's not blind devotion for the sake of devotion itself. You would right. love the Orphic hymns, the Homeric hymns, and the Delphic hymns, too. They're very good. The Greek magical papyri is very right. good. Um London laid in papyrus, but I'm kind of digressing from my point. Sorry, mine no, is no, so please. wild. Yeah, I'm writing it all down. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I guess yeah. The, the Greco the kind of is like that stuff. I haven't, you know, I I know a cursory idea mm-hmm. of, of what and, and, and Agrippa, you know, but that's pretty much yeah. as, as far as you know my uh in, well, my, well that's as far as i went and now it just keeps popping up and everyone i talk to that i respect that is you know uh people that aren't i can absolutely glean that they're not using it for any other sure fact than the sheer knowledge of how to know thyself better and be better you know it seems like it always oh, comes yeah. back down to greco egyptian stuff oh yeah certainly it either even goes back further uh uh, there's a book out there called Beyond the Muses, an anthology of Arcadian literature. It has the oldest spells and the oldest written literature that we have. Mm-hmm. And, the um, Muses, gotcha. Mm-hmm. 
and, and there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, and there's so many things I'm learning, so many bits of wisdoms and gems I would have never gotten in postmodern thought because, you know, while post, I'm not saying postmodern thought is bad, but there was something that happened. And yeah. this was during the industrial age. During the industrial age, we were just getting out of the Victorian age, right? Mm-hmm. So then, uh, you know, in the Victorian age was the rise of psychology. It was the time where people were saying, where academics were scoffing at mythology, not really taking it serious, you know, to see how it could relate to humanity. And then we have the rise of materialism, you know, based on the the fancy stuff from Egypt coming out at the time period, too. But then things became easier. We could mass produce things. We could uh, kill animals on a large scale. We could create, um, you know, mach- we could create things really fast. Right. You know, cities started to get very populated. And then we just came to this point in human history, uh, and Nietzsche kind of hit on this really hard. What happens when you kill God? Where do people turn to? Right. And that's what happened. Um, to technology? You know, <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, we turn to nihilism, um, mm-hmm. materialism. So there's nothing to fill that void or that space. Things just are here. And now in this world, live once. This is, and this kind, this can lead to. Um, and I'm not saying that this is the official doctrine, but right. what I'm saying is this can dangerously lead to narcissism in the future. You know, yeah. when, once things become convenient, not at that moment because you're working to to, to survive during in, during the industrial age just to take care of your family you know yeah. what i mean so I mean, what happened I felt that way about you know the practice of chaos magic after after so many years I, I felt like it kind of really was a narcissistic kind of devotion it was you know kind of cribbing from other people like that's good enough i can use that i don't want to go deeper blah, blah, blah. you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah yeah and it's it it's because of a more of a collectivist idea in the sense of a metaphysical collectivism that I got like out of that, you know? Yeah. I, I can, I can, I completely understand, man. I was, I dabbled into chaos magic for a little while too. And Mm -hmm. if there's anything that I got out of this is we have to like, we have to measure the consequences of stuff, you know? Oh, like, where did extreme narcissism come out of the industrial age? Well, that happened because of conveniences. Mm-hmm. And um, some people, they just naturally have narcissistic tendencies. But when you don't have to earn what you have, when you don't have to fight with your inner struggles in anymore, when you can just go out and, um, you know, let's say work an eight-hour job, Mm-hmm. And and go to a bar for a weekend. That's more than what most people could do anywhere else, or when you can afford a that one thousand dollar iPhone. I mean, there's going to be a degree of narcissism in there. Yeah, no, because totally. conven- I mean, con- conveniences are to- are so tied to it. 
And I'm not saying everybody will be narcissistic because I know that, you know, some may say these are broad statements, but I would well, never say all, you know what I mean? Right, of course. But this does tie into my other question for you, especially in the convenience part. And it brings back uh, what we were talking about, about kind of like, you know, new kind of media gurus is that they seem uh, the interest in the occult, the majorly uh, has been more about aesthetics, um, a certain type of mm-hmm. kind of, you know, visual style and a lot of art, but mm-hmm. also uh, because of, yeah, the convenience of the get rich quick or the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the rectify all your bad problems by tapping into this on, you know, <laughs> uh, un, mm-hmm. unknown stuff. And I was wondering if um, there, like, what would be your advice for uh, people that are uh, so ready for resolution or results and, you know, have, have guess no idea that it's not really about results like that. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. Well, this brings me to kind of what I would say earlier, right? Um, now, uh, there's there's a couple points here. There, that's a that that there's a lot in that question. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd have to break this down. Please do. Well, um, first of all, we would have to challenge ourselves, right? There are mm-hmm. people who say that spirits are all in your head. Now, if that's true, then we would have a whole bunch of confirmation bias. Right. Or people projecting their fantasies into magic. You yeah. know, so uh, that's the first step. You know, when I do an evocation... I mean, it's like working with another person. Very rarely do I get anything I want to hear. It's <laughs> almost like another individual, you know. It's objective, so it's it's not telling me all, you know, broad or vague statements. Um, I've been doing a great deal of uh, mathematics lately, um, you know, because that was a big part of occultism. Uh-huh. And um, and I think that, that the more knowledge that you gain, the, the more that these spirits will help you. Even the table of elements that they use in chemistry was created from a dream a guy had, right. the creator had. So when I, when I do these evocations, these spirits, um, they'll give me certain numbers and all of this and everything. So, and magic, it... You have to remember, magic was more scientifically based. Um, there, there obviously had to be emotion there in your passions, right? In your prayers and your devotions and stuff. So, but it was also very rational too. It was so methodical. It wasn't like I am in a mood to do this new moon ritual, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, there was a reason and a rhyme. The there was at one point magic was used to explain the mysteries of self and the mysteries of the universe, even if they sounded crazy, or the mysteries of the world. And um, so when we think about magic, and by that definition, we're not looking at a layman. We could see that already. Mm -hmm. 
You know, we, we are looking, at, especially when you go through the time these grimoires were written, you had to be, uh, you had to be an educated person. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you didn't have a choice. So what this leads to is, you you know, this pushed me in the occult to become brighter, if you will, uh, to, to kind of stoop out of my own ignorance of, you know, I need a girlfriend or I want some money. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. because magic was made for the community. And this is where you get your results, right? Let's say, you know, you're doing magic with a friend or let's say you're working with a client. Okay. Well, they are, they are the measurement of your results. Your magic was, was meant to help the community way back when, before it became narcissistic. Oh, when you, when you go through yeah. all the spells, you know, yeah, when, that's when exactly you look at what the, I've been trying to say. I just didn't have the words, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, like when you look at these demons, you know, this demon teaches geometry. This demon teaches math. Just This demon teaches how to give speeches. Right. This demon teaches this. You're not going to sit there and give yourself a speech. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're yeah. Not it's gonna, not, you, you you're know. right, yeah. It's not coming these from are, the recesses of your subconscious. It's an actual outside force. Yeah, this is going to teach you how to prosper in, in your community, not lock yourself away in your room, and and how to become a more competent person. That's what magic was about, is yeah. uh, working on how to become more competent for yourself in the community. So It's so almost yeah, like that's a very you... reverent, you know, kind of devotion. It's almost like you know, a Jesuit would have to be... Um, you know what I mean? To it was kind of like their swollen or sore, sorry, their duty, their sworn duty to mm -hmm. uh, to know this and to yeah to feed their results back to the community. And I think we've totally lost that. Um, oh yeah, certainly because uh, I think we lost it through pop culture, through technology, you know, through advertising, through. Well, just like, the industrial age onward. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, not to get into this at all, but I mean, it, there's nothing more uh, revealing than just the truth wars, you know, that are so prevalent today, even across the media, especially across the media. It just seems to me that now would be the time that people should turn to um, archaic systems or like or to get back to our roots of trying to figure out how to band together and transcend, you know? Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, and I, I think it's good for structure because, and that's one thing that this ancient magic brings is structure. It, it, because it's not, because it opens up your eyes and you realize it's not about you. This, right. this magic is giving you a structure to be a useful part of society. You know, and it, and it improves your self-esteem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's why I've continued only to go deeper, you know. Uh, I wasn't mm -hmm. satisfied with just the kind of, you know, like we said, the narcissism of 
of, uh, you know, uh, just meaningless in the end, you know, uh, self-gratifying kind of spells or whatever. And I, how, how do you think we do that? Like, how, how do you, how do you feel we should, that's, that should come about or how can it? Well, it all falls upon personal responsibility. And this is where personal responsibility should be in the realms of in occultism, I think, you know, mm-hmm. owning up to who you are, really realizing you're an imperfect person and really striving. Now, obviously, systems like the PGM are not are non-transcendental systems, meaning that there's right. no reaching to the one, you know. Yeah. But however, to amend further you have to learn to call yourself out. You yeah. know, like if someone offers a criticism, you don't get upset. You don't censor that person. Like if if it's a legitimate criticism, you listen to it. You, you right. listen to it good. That's all I hear. Because, <laughs> you know, it's uh, because it's so easy to get defensive, defensive about something. Like I'm not going to lie. I mean, every once in a while, I try not to get defensive. Mm-hmm. It's still something I'm working with. It's just my natural thing to attack right back with facts, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I've I've been catching myself, and then obviously that's an inad an inadequacy that I have that I'm working with, and we have to call ourselves out because if we don't call ourselves out, we have no one else to be the measurement of. Uh, and if we're not going to listen, how are, how are we going to measure who we are? And I'm not yeah. saying that people are always right, because obviously they do have their own perspective, which is healthy. But magically, how are we going to grow if we cannot call ourselves out and if we cannot even say it to the public? You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah, so I mean, that's, important. I just like to me, I just yeah, I think about. Um, the quote unquote optics of that, like how how do you tell this generation that they need to, you know, confront their flaws to be better, you know, collectively? Uh, well, when when you have demons. the louder, you know, types telling you, oh no, you don't need any of that shit. You could rule them all, you know. Yeah, well, that's one of those demons. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's the demon of pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When that demon of pride, when when it's there, it is, it 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 it's hard to get rid of. Some for some people, it never leaves, and it's yeah. good to be prideful in some parts. Well, but again, it's it. about balance. Right. But yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those things that you genuinely have to want to do. I don't know if we can find a solution for that. But I do think it does hit for every individual once they realize, you know, once they realize that they can't control circumstances. Because we're we're being taught now that we can control circumstances. Right. And this is what magic is about, right? That we can control things. We can control circumstances. And this this goes all the way back to the ancient Egyptian dilemma of man versus nature. Hmm. We think we can control nature. We can to some degree, but do you know how we controlled nature? 
How's that? We learned how we learned how nature worked, and we use nature against itself with the same physics, with the same mechanics, with the same ideas. Yeah. So we use nature against itself to give us some sort of security. But in all reality, I mean, the question is, how much control do we really have over circumstances? And when life kicks in and says, hey, you think you're in control, watch this, boom. Oh, yeah. Like clockwork. And then it's like your your entire world falls apart. You thought yeah. you knew something, and it's like, shit, what am I going to do now? Then, then you hit sort of an... Uh, an existentialism crisis, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I always thought, to me, the this whole inner process has always been about how to better react instead of how to better uh, defend or, you know, how to how to take a punch uh, easier. Or that I mean, that's what it became. It was like, how yeah, how to roll. How do I... I can control only thing... The only thing I can control is how... I am reacting because they're yeah. everything else is it's that's ridiculous. And so maybe that is sort of the point is that we focus on you know our how yeah we just focus on the idea of uh forming our own kind of defenses in a way that uh I don't know. I lost myself. But you know well, I think you get what I, I'm I do think that we can offer some uh, exert a little bit of control over nature, though, right? Right. Um, you know, over a situation. Unfortunately, so, yeah. <laughs> let's let's oh. let's say that somebody is is let's say you know somebody gets fired up in a certain situation, right? Yeah. And you and you see that they're a little, little bit fanatical. Okay. Uh huh. So. You see them getting fired up, and and people are ignoring it because it's just a negative thing, right? Right. So, upon looking at that, it would probably be wise to get away from that subject so that person doesn't get upset. I see what you're so saying. There are, there, yeah. Don't defend, yeah, so there just are, circumvent. Huh? Not don't defend yeah, so, circumvent. It is that there are some things we can do to control the situation. You know, for example, one of the oldest forms of magic is with words and writing. Oh yeah, that's you my know? favorite. <laughs> oh, you're breaking. Yeah, go up. on. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, but I was saying that's uh, one of the oldest ways uh, to do magic is with words and writing. I mean. Because we see this in Thoth and Odin, even the word uh, for spells, um, you know, we have logos, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was going to bring Which that up, word. that the word of God, you know. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, God spoke things in creation. Mm-hmm. When you write things down as a scribe, that's magic. So what we're given is is these supernatural powers through words and through language. Right. And, uh, and even, you know, when we look at people like, uh, Harpocrates or Imhotep or these other glorified people, because they changed society, you know, people would go to them for readings. Uh, you know, we could look at theologians that they served a part to people. Yeah. And I think a part of the craft of, 
me uh, working with philosophy and classical magic is, is uh, you know, I don't make this about me. Um, if I felt like I wasn't helping people, then I wouldn't do it. Once again, a little self-projection here. Well, sure. And it's, but I'm I'm making my skills useful, and I'm trying to make make my skills useful in one way or the other. And we sort of have to get back to that root. Um, it all started for me after my grandfather died. Oh yeah. Um, that's when it really hit me. Um, because I was at his deathbed, and he had cancer. I took care of him for like three or four months, every oh, single I'm day sorry. almost. Oh, it, it's all right, man. We, um, but. You know, I, I watched him wither away, yeah. and I'll, I'll never forget. It was right around three sixteen in the morning, and um, he was there on his deathbed, and um, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to. He fought for every single thing that he had inside of him. Yeah, and he fought so hard. A tear ran down his eye. I wiped away his tear, and I felt his last breath go past my ear yeah. and he was gone and then i start then something occurred to me that night i realized how precious the idea the breath of life was i mean it's it's easy to talk about but once you see that you know that, that our breath our breathing is the borderline between living and dying yeah it's it, it hits you and that's something you take with you to the grave, the, that philosophy, that thought. And you see how it's embedded in magic, especially with the opening of the mouth rite. And the Egyptians understood this because, you know, an opening of the mouth rite, you're opening, uh, you're opening up the mouth of the statue or the mouth of the mummy. And you're giving it life to breathe, to speak. And it's so fascinating to think about how a little thing, such as the last breath and the breath of life, is so tied to magic. You know, something that you will rarely catch in a modern book. Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, it's it's as simple as elemental things. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you uh, to go more into the paranormal side of things, too, especially considering that correlating with, with magic, other spirits and outside forces um what has been your hypothesis of what you see occurring when you have paranormal encounters well um i am on the path investigators and um uh, there's two of us we're, we're pretty much a team and what's amazing about this is we see uh, i mean we see some weird things i mean um i was working with a client yesterday by yesterday, uh, well, I don't know why I said that, a couple weeks ago. And she had, at least this family, had a, had a poltergeist to some degree. And uh, something that's been there for a long time, because in the same building, uh, a guy who was in an apartment in that same building, like right across, also had some very same experiences. And and it's very much tied. I mean, the spirit model is the oldest model of magic. And so you yeah, I mean, think these are like uh, uh, specific, like consciousness? Do you think they're they're um, you know a 
You know what I mean? Like they're they're actual yeah, like I know residue of of a, of a conscious that once was, and they're interacting with us. Uh, well, out of desperation. Um, or... Well, I do. Well, you have two kinds of spirits. You have the residual, which is kind of like a a recording on the tape, right? Yeah, an echo. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have the intelligent spirit, which sort of speaks for itself as to what that is. So when we look at these other spirits, now there's a lot of people, I think someone commented, you know, what do you think about creating your own spirit, you know, uh, an egregore? And sometimes I think I'm a little too direct. You know, how people talk about how they create egregores and servitors. Sure. Yes, my thoughts on that, and I said, well, I think it's BS. To say that you can create a spirit is, I'm going to say the word again, narcissistic. Right. I mean... That would be um, a a god power. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And I said it it doesn't make any sense. I mean, even if it could make sense, I, I just couldn't buy it. Because we're so limited in our, in our bodies. If we can create spirits, then we can certainly, you know, manage and govern circumstances a lot better. <laughs> yeah. So, do, do you think there's something to be said about, like, I, there's that theory that, you know, they're uh, kind of unwieldy or unyielding uh, psychic, you know, projections from, I think one of the theories was like prepubescent or teenage girls going through puberty um would often like there was that theory that the all the just the hormones even affected the psychic plane and it would you know it was it was from living people yeah. it was just it was telekinetic um do you think there's something uh, oh to yeah I, yeah i could see that very much um when you're going through a biological change and um like i said when it comes to a lot of these studies that are done especially on uh, some of this. There was this 83-year-old woman in this nursing home. She was tied to a tree. And, um, yeah, she was tied to a tree by her stepfather. And um, and she 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 was kind of left guard past that, but she moved on mostly. But uh, there were these people who moved into the house. And once they looked This man and his wife were in a house with their kids, and they saw an apparition of this woman tied to a tree. And uh, they did some research on the house, and then they found the police report later on it, and then they found out the woman was still alive, and they confronted her about it. She was shocked. And this goes back to the, the thought, at least for me, uh, back to a Greek thought once again, that the soul is in the mind. Uh, the Greek word is psuche. Psuche is quite literally soul, and that's what it means. And we take the word uh, soul in Greek, and it means psyche. That's where we get the word psyche. So, um, it, so they got this idea that the soul was in the mind. And if we think about these instances, like astral projection, out-of-body experiences, and that 83-year-old woman who was also in a nursing home, 
that I that I stated. Uh, I read about it. It was interesting. You know, it shows that in parapsychology that a part of us dwells in um, through tragedy in our mind and, and things like that. A part of our spirit does. It's like that. The it, it was so intense psychically that it, it's absorbed in the surroundings and then played back like a like an echo or a ricochet. You know. Yeah, Plato made an interesting comment on shadow people. He said shadow people are souls who got caught in materialism when they were alive. In materialism, so they're bound here and they're stuck here. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't just quite say materialism, like, but. Uh-huh. But, like, that's encapsulating what he was saying, like, caught in money, caught in, you know, just earthly right. matters, and that was solely where their focus was. Never wanted to leave. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so, I mean, uh, I think it's a good subject to wrap up on, because it's a big one, I'm sure it uh, could be a podcast of its own, but I just wanted to know um, what your experience has been Uh, within the paranormal and how that's informed your idea of what happens after we die. Ah, that's interesting. I think that the Egyptians had a right when they said that our entire soul is sort of divided into parts, that we just aren't like one singular soul. Even the Christians have this same concept that the soul is separated from the spirit of God and um, that there are parts of us, you know, uh, especially the the Egyptians had the Ka and the Ba, you know. So it touches upon this idea that we're an organism made of many things. And, And so just like how the universe functions like an organism in in cosmology, so do we. You know, for example, you know, just because you have a liver, I don't call you liver. <laughs> well, okay. Because we, because we, you know, we, we start with cells, and cells create organs, organs create systems, right. and then you mix all those systems together, and then you have us. So we have to look at the bigger picture. So... Even then, we're kind of acting as, as an organism. So, when first of all, when I think about the afterlife, uh, I do heavily believe in reincarnation. But a thought that does cross my mind on the occasion is, you know, is what is, uh, you know, does a part of our human personality, is it sort of meant to stay on Earth as a ghost? Right. That's, and that's what I meant earlier about part, the consciousness part. Yeah, like, or is, oh, you know, is there a separation there, part of us that goes up? And that's kind of the fence that I'm leaning on. Uh, but I do think that the lower human part can ascend if we live uh, a life of bettering ourselves, uh, focusing on this idea of, you know, what it takes to keep the organism healthy. You know what I mean? Whether it's with humanity. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah, pretty much. Um, And like I said, but also going against it too, to some degree, because even Plotinus writes in his Enneads that 
the goal is to gain wisdom, you know, so we focus so we focus on the virtue of truth and wisdom. So as we focus on the truth of virtue and wisdom, we're not meant to hide from the world. We're not meant to avoid conflict. As a matter of a fact, Plotinus says once you get so wise, you're going to be forced to face that conflict. That's why that's a part of the reason why you have to develop the, develop those skills. So and this is going in and going into my bigger point. The way we have the lower soul and the higher soul, right? So, and I think uh, some of these spirits, they, they do get stuck here. And I do think Plato was onto something when he said that shadow people are souls that got stuck in materialism, that they loved the earth so much they didn't want to leave. And I think that was uh, it's like almost spot on for me. Then he has the myth of Ur, and the myth of Ur is... Uh, pretty much this whole complex afterlife of reincarnation, which we probably don't have time for here, but uh, as far as the paranormal, you know, I've found out that a lot of that stuff that people deem as religious crap actually works. So, uh, like, uh, example, a lot of stuff people deem as religious crap? What do you mean? Yeah, like, such as Psalms, Holy Water. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. And it, yeah, and it's, I don't think it's I think a part of it is a religion within itself because you have a, a you know, the one, the authority that's above you. Uh-huh. Whether you see it as a pantheistic god, um, and I think that my views in panentheism, you know, they're really good at compromising my personal view <laughs> on how I see spirits and gods and all that because in panentheism and pantheism. The, the, the main difference between pantheism and panentheism is in panentheism, God is outside of the universe, but he created this universe. But in pantheism, God is the universe. Huh. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I'd probably go with more of the latter as well. Yeah, yeah so it, it brings it in, in, in a very interesting point, though. So there's no denial of other gods or spirits outside of the one. They're part of that organism, like me and you. And they exist. They do their role. Some of them are conscious. Some of them aren't. And and they sort of do their thing, you know, yeah. while we do ours. Well, damn, Robert, that <laughs> that that just set us up for a sequel. Oh yeah, hell, hell yeah! I would love I would love to come back. Yeah, I, they... I I enjoyed the conversation. Oh man, yeah, this is great. This is exactly what I needed today. It's had one of those introspective, you know, kind of big idea days, and this is this is great, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, no problem. Don't worry, because I know a lot of this stuff is hard for me to take into at first, especially when I first heard it. Then I'll go back and I'll revisit a concept, and and I'll just be be mind fucked. Yeah, it seems like I just kind of construct and deconstruct uh, every day, especially about the big, big ideas as little things kind of little beliefs kind of morph. So do the big ones, you know, and it's it's just Mm -hmm. it's reassuring to have magic or just a community people to talk to that is not of the vapid variety that wants to get to the nitty-gritty of this kind of deep discussion. 
Been, yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, like earlier we talked about the the crisis going going on with with young males. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that's a big pull. And uh, even then, I think that I, you know, my whole channel, even I'm a reaction to that. You know what I mean? Reaction <laughs> to this crisis, knowing right. that I needed order. And I think that, you know, in my, like on my channel, like it's open-minded, but at the same time, I openly say somewhere along the lines that, you know, we need boundaries at the same time. We need some sort of aim and guidance. Right, there's got to be some structure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that limitations are bad, but I think that because I see uh, where you're coming from and all that, you know, it's good to say you're limited because you can't learn everything. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the big idea, too, is that that it, it internal, or uh, I'd say... Yeah, eternal acceptance of uh, resolving to know nothing in a way, you know? It's that I, the deeper I know, the more of a student I am. Yeah, and like I said, if there's one thing I'd like to tell the audience here, it, yeah, please. it's not a, a, about blind dogma, and I know that it can easily be, be mistaken as that when I say limitations and, and, and through some parts of this, but it's not about that. It's about the aspect of free thinking, but, but, but kind of resolving that duality to that union at the same time. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you blindly accept things, you know, just because you mentioned God or the one, it doesn't mean you challenge the idea. But at the same time, you know, you don't dismiss it either. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... That's probably the best point to end on. Uh, you want to tell everyone where they can find you and where to where to watch your videos and whatnot? Yeah, just go on YouTube, type in Logos of OPL. I recently put the name change on there to Robert A. Powell for branding reasons. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and plus my Twitter handle is RobertPowell018. And... Um, and you can email me at pgmmagus at gmail.com, meaning uh, papyri uh, greco magakai, so PGM. And um, and you can find me there. And you do PATH, like we, we touched on. It's the investigative, paranormal investigation. Yeah, the, yeah, the PATH investigators. Uh, so you could type that right onto Google and find it right there. Very cool. Well, thanks again, Robert, and this will be the, the beginning of a very long relationship, I can tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I love the chat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, please come back. Let's do this again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just slide in my DMs uh, whenever you can, too, or my email. <laughs> of a chaos magician by then, I swear. Oh, you're sincere. I think that's all that matters, you know, no yeah. matter what path you follow, as long as you're you're sincere about what you follow and that's all that matters. Yeah, I definitely don't want to burn everything down anymore, so. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna go with that. All right, man, we'll take care. Yeah, you too.
A. Powell. In the show notes, I have his YouTube channel, his Twitter, his blog, all linked down below. So please, please check them out. Follow it. He's he's getting traction, and uh, I couldn't be more grateful that he took the time to speak with me. And we got personal, which this entire podcast venture is turning into a very personal journey, because there are plenty of men talking about big esoteric ideas, as we had just discussed, and there are smarter, more able-bodied and able-minded people to walk you through the academic side of things, Robert A. Powell included. So thanks for sticking with me and allowing me to get personal about my chaos reformation. I'm going to limit my closing remarks, but you can read the rest of my diatribe in the show notes and the accompanying article on wethehallowed.org. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash wethehallowed. Follow this podcast on Twitter, Pragmagic, with a K, underscore cast, and on Instagram, Pragmagic, underscore cast. You can find me, Revel Ross, soon to be Revelator Ross, again, at revelross.com. That's R-E-V-E-L-R-O-S-Z. Been doing most of my stuff through the We The Hallowed hub so keep a lookout and haunt on. <laughs>